0: Well, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about. This is The Engaging Missions Show, Episode 215 with Dylan Dodson. Welcome to The
1: Engaging
0: Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for stopping by and welcome to the show. We believe that every missionary and church planter deserves to be heard and that every believer deserves to participate in in what God is doing. This week, we're going to be talking about a challenging experience, what it's like starting a new church, surrounding ourselves with wise counselors, and the power of a great team. I'm going to have for you a podcast recommendation brought to you by missionalaudio.com and Tales from the Bench, and I'll share a little bit more about what that means a little bit later when we when we get done with our time with our guest. I would also like to welcome Dylan and David, who both recently subscribed to the email newsletter. If you're interested in doing that, you can visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. Just put your email address and your name in there, and that'll go ahead and subscribe you. And then also, I'd like to mention that David is a bit of an overachiever because he also liked the Engaging Missions Facebook page. If you'd like to do that, visit Facebook.com slash Engaging Missions. Dylan and David, welcome. It's great to have you. I really hope that you find this week's episode incredibly valuable. Now, as we transition to our time with our guest, I'd like to just encourage you to listen to his heart about how God uses ordinary people. Today, I'm really excited to have with me Dylan Dodson. He's a church planter, and we'll talk a little bit more about what he's doing. But for right now, Dylan, welcome to the show.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Brian. I'm excited to be on.
0: Oh, this is absolutely my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this. Now, before we get into this, I suspect that, you know, some of the people listening probably know who you are and know a little bit about who you are. But as a church planter, as a father, as a sports fan and a fellow podcaster, can you maybe share a little bit about yourself and your family?
1: Yeah, we are in Raleigh, North Carolina. My wife and I have a daughter named Finley who's about two and a half, and we've got one on the way. We also have a cat named Phoebe. I am a cat person, mm. so dogs are cool, but I am a cat person. Let's see, Yeah, I love sports. I grew up in the Raleigh area, which is college basketball country, and so I'm a huge Duke fan. Just in general, I love to play sports, love to watch them. I'm a pretty competitive guy. I love to read, and, and I love learning. And yeah, we're on this journey like we we're talking about planting a church, and so life has been pretty crazy. Past couple of years, but I've uh, learned a lot and God's been really good. So it's been neat. Yeah. And I understand
0: you also would like to be a spokesperson for Jersey Mike's. What's up with that?
1: <laughs> so those that know me, and if you see a picture of me, you don't know me. I'm pretty, I'm a pretty thin guy, you know, don't. And so I I also, I'm one of those people that, that doesn't eat to live. Mm. Or, I'm sorry. I eat to live. I don't live to eat. Like okay. I really don't care. Like, I'm just like, whatever. It all tastes the same to me. But I love Jersey Mike's. I don't know why, but a couple of years ago, I connected and we just, so number six, roast beef. If anyone wants to send me Jersey Mike's gift cards, that's my place. So I, I don't really care about food, but Jersey Mike's, that's where I want to be. So
0: Nice. So as I think about your story, I spent a little bit of time on your blog and checking out some of the things that you that you've put up there. And one of the things that I understand is that when you were in your late teens, there was something in your life that was a real catalyst for your desire to share Jesus. And I'm sure that you know some of the people listening have probably heard that, but maybe not everybody. Could you share a little bit about what it was in your life that turned your desire towards sharing Jesus?
1: Yeah, and let really me back up to a little, yeah. little bit of my story too. and time, we got in church planning. So I grew up, been a believer my whole life. And, you know, as long as young as I can remember, I kind of like is, is, as much as a little kid can understand, kind of the gospel. I kind of really think I got it. And of course, as I grew, as I grew up, and kind of I learned more what that was, what, what that meant, and grew my relationship with Jesus. Never really went through a rebellious phase or anything like that. You know, I always believed in Jesus. Always kind of took my faith seriously. I enjoyed like in high school. I enjoyed like reading like apologetic type stuff and like kind of the intellectual side of faith. It was always, you know, it was always fun to me. I always enjoyed it. But I never, I never had a desire to do ministry, per se, in any way. Um, I didn't have anything against it. I just, like, didn't think that that was my thing. Mm. And then my, between my freshman and sophomore year of college, when I was 19 years old, it was, the, it was that summer. My dad, so I, my parents, I'm in the middle of two sons, so there's three boys, lost my dad to a suicide. Mm. And, it, you know, there, there's a lot there. It's, I think it's pretty cliche. A lot of people would say it's the last person that you would ever think but it really is the last person you'd ever think. And of course, after that happened, we kind of looked back the last six months and saw how he was dealing with depression. And, but you just never, you never, you never think that that yeah. could happen to someone like that. And so of course, after the fact, like, how do we miss this? How do we miss this? How do we miss this? And so, so as you can imagine, that was extremely difficult. You know, he loved Jesus, loved his family. I just kind of thought because he was faithful and he was a good guy that knew nothing would ever happen to him. I think mm. partially it's probably because of your dad, if you have a good dad, that's kind of what you think. And so, you know, that was pretty devastating and it was a difficult time. And that kind of, at, at that point, it kind of changed my heart a little bit. Real quick, what happened was a couple of days later, we had a you know, kind of a funeral celebration service of his life at mm. the church that I grew up at. It's, it's a pretty large church here in Raleigh, and there's probably a thousand people that came to the memorial service. I mean, it was crazy, completely unexpected. And I shared at his service, maybe like three or four or five minutes. I mean, nothing long, but just mm. a brief thing. And after, you know, after the service, after the ceremony or the service thing, you know, people, a lot of people would like line up to kind of give you their condolences and all that sort of thing. And we had a, obviously we had a bunch of friends and a bunch of people came and one of my friends came. One of my friends from college drove up for the service and he ran up to me after when it was his, when he was the next one up and he gave me a big hug and he said, Dylan, you're going to be a preacher one day. Hmm. And my first thought, and to be totally honest was, yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) Because if I'm being, if I'm being honest, like if, if you're speaking at your dad's funeral and you're 19 years old, like you have everybody's attention, everybody's like you could be the worst communicator in the world, but because of the moment, People are dialed in and they're locked in and they want yeah. to hear what you have to say. And that was what through my, went through my mind. It's like, you just, you know, that's nice. But I just, no, like, it's just because of the moment. And, but it was just really weird. I was, I came into college as a music major. And so I was in summer school that summer because hmm. you have, you don't have a lot of time to take the lots of all, all the classes that you yeah. need. So I took a philosophy class that summer that ended a couple of weeks before my dad died. And it was a really challenging class. And it kind of got me thinking intellectually about things about faith that I'd never thought before and really like challenged my beliefs. And so my dad dying, and coupled with that, a couple of weeks after my father died, I just kind of felt like God saying like, you know, I never really fully knew what I wanted to do with my life. And I just felt like God saying, this is church, ministry and church planting, whatever that looks like, kind of just felt like God was kind of pushing me in that direction. And so that's kind of the long story short of how God used a really Awful situation to kind of completely change the direction of of my life.
0: Yeah, wow, I, that, and that's certainly something that I would never, never wish on anybody. But clearly, God's yeah. used that experience, and you know, it reminds me yeah. of the the scripture. It seems kind of cliche sometimes, but that all things work together for the good for those who love God and who are called according to His yeah. purpose. And,
1: and 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 yeah, in my, in my story. I, mean, I I love to share my story because I, I love to give people hope. Yeah. And what I tell people using that passage a lot is that God really will use for, you know, all of our situations for our good and his glory if we let him. Mm. Right. Because we have, there's the, there is the way we, we we choose how we respond. And it was really difficult for me, but man, when life is difficult and things are hard, you know, it's, we have the option. Are we going to walk away from God? Are we going to, how, how are we going to respond to this? But I've just found that if you're faithful and you cling to God, even when it's hard, even when you have questions, He really can use it for His glory and our good. Yeah. So.
0: When, when you were going through that, one of the things I'm wondering is, I would assume that you had some conversations with God during that time. How did some of those conversations go? Did you ever consider
1: even walking away? You know, it's really easy. It's really interesting. After my, my dad died, I never questioned like God and His goodness. Hmm. And if he cared, like never, it was really weird. In fact, I switched my major, my major to religion. I went to a UNC, University of North Carolina Wilmington, which is on the coast of North Carolina. So it's a you know it's a public university, and I switched my major to religion, and hmm. that was more difficult on my faith than losing my dad to a suicide. Wow. Now I, I came out. I'm really glad I did because I was challenged intellectually on a lot of things, and I, of course, we can't. It, what it taught me. I mean, we can't like prove that Jesus. Resur- we can't prove a lot of things. But what I learned from that is the answer to people's questions about faith, about faith is not always you just need to have more faith. Like there actually are que- answers to questions that we can search for yeah. and we can find. And God gave us our brains to use. But it was difficult there for a few years. Just that was so my, my, my college studies was more, way more difficult on my faith than losing my dad. And I would say I was probably, there was a lot of stuff that happened in the course of six months of that mm-hmm. year. I, we, I had five people close to me die. Wow! So I had my grandmother, which was my dad's mom. She died first. It wasn't really close because we lived in North Carolina, grew up, and they were in Florida, so we didn't see them a ton. But it still was sad, especially for my dad. Mm-hmm. And he died, and then a month after he died, my grandfather died, which was his dad's dad or his dad. And so again, it wasn't super close with his parents, but because my dad died and both of them died, it was kind of like you know, like I was you know, it was just hard because they're an extension of him. And then about a month later, I had an uncle die of a heart attack, which I wasn't super close to because he lived in Florida, but it was still like the fourth death in like four or five months. And then I went back to school in the fall for my sophomore year. And very shortly into my sophomore year, one of my childhood friends in the neighborhood that I grew up with committed suicide. Oh, wow. So in the span of six months, I mean, it was like every time I got a phone call and there were some other things that happened, but I mean, it was just like. Every time I got a phone call, I'm like, what's next? And I was yeah. depressed. I was, it was tough and it was hard. And I do, I mean, I don't say this, you know, just to say it, but man, if, I, if it wasn't for Jesus, I don't think I would be here today. I don't think I'd be alive today if it wasn't for the hope that I had in Him. Wow. But what's interesting though, was in the midst of that deep depression, there was a couple months there, I think in September or in October of that year specifically, it was so dark for me. I knew that God loved me and I knew that He cared for me. But even in that, I still felt like, man, I can't do this. But God was good, and he and it was, I was probably depressed—it's kind of a long story—for about nine months hmm. after specifically—and obviously nothing was close to to losing my dad, but it was a really tough time. But even in that, like I said, it wasn't really—for whatever reason, never questioned God's goodness and never questioned His love. I mean, I I understand that we live in a broken and fallen world, but again, clinging to the fact that He does love me and that He can use the situation. And my hope is, you know, use, being able to use my story for the rest of my life, that more people— get to become and get to meet Jesus because of what I experienced again, at the end of the day, would I trade having my dad back for all this stuff? Absolutely. Wow. But in a way it's kind of, I kind of view it as a way of getting back at as cheesy as this may sound, (laughs) uh, getting back at Satan or getting back at the enemy. of like, you wanted this for evil and for bad. Like this is what you wanted. But because of this happened, more people are going to know Jesus than what you wanted to have happen. So I, you know, kind of use it, kind of use my store of, to encourage people if I can to really help more people meet Jesus so
0: yeah totally you know as you were sharing that when toward the end when you kind of turned that corner and you said you know I'm I'm going to use this, this thing that's happened in my life. It's difficult and I don't like it, but I'm going to go ahead and use it. It reminds me of the scripture that says that toward the end, that Jesus turned his face like flint toward Jerusalem. And, you know, there's that intentionality of going, okay, this has happened or this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to step into that. I really appreciate that about you. As a person who hasn't experienced this, it would be really hard for me to even begin to know how to minister to somebody who's gone through this. Right but you've even provided some resources for people that are going through this kind of thing. You've written a book. Can you share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. And it's really interesting. So I, you know, even though I'm a pastor and a church planter, empathy and sympathy are not my strong suits at all. Mm. Like I'm not, I'm not a great counselor. I'm not a great, like, you know, if there's a problem, it's kind of like, we'll do this. And if you're not going to do it, then why are we talking? Like I'm just not as (laughs) great at that. But you, but this, tragedy has been really helpful in the fact that I'm still not great at that, but it has taught me, A, how to help people when they're going through tragedy, because I know it was helpful for me and b even though i'm not the most empathetic when people are struggling with something that's really difficult i can step in and help them not only help them but have a voice mm-hmm. not to compare like when my dad died people were like well i can't compare this but like we don't need to compare because pain is pain mm-hmm. and so if you're dealing with something that's that's hard for you then it's a, then you're dealing with it's it hard like you know it's okay to just admit that but it's really helped me at least in that area help people walk through tragedy because i was able to go i went through it and i learned what was helpful and what wasn't And so part of it, like you said, was I wrote a book. My dad died when I was 19, published the book when I was 21. I self-published it. It's called True Pain, True Grief, and a True God. And if I'm being totally honest, like I don't really promote it or talk a lot about it anymore. I mean, Mm -hmm. the reason why I wrote the book was because I wanted to capture the raw emotion of what I was experiencing. So within a year after my dad died, I started writing it. And I knew I could wait 10 or 20 years to write something and have more experience and have it be better. Mm. But I didn't want to lose the raw emotion of it. So I went and wrote this book and published it. And it's, you know, it's good and I like it. And I I definitely give it to people that are struggling, who are heroes going through. And my hope is, you know, in 10 or 20 years, as I get a little older, to actually go back and to revise it. Because then I have kind of wisdom on my side. But then I also can pull from the raw emotion. But the book really is kind of my story and what, I, what my process was like the kind of the first year after my dad died. Hmm. So in that regard, I, I think it's interesting and helpful. I don't know. Again, I was 19 years old. So is it the best written book in the world? No. But that wasn't the point of me writing. It was really just to kind of give people an account of here is my experience and here is what God taught me through it. And so that's why I wrote it so that I could have something, at least in the future, to kind of draw back from and kind of show people this is what it was like. You know when I was actually feeling those strong emotions. So
0: yeah, that that's 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 great. So let's talk a little bit about the call to plant churches. You mentioned that after this happened, after this six month time frame or so, you, God started moving you into or toward full time ministry. Is that when you received your call to be a church planter? How did what's what's the timeline look like for that?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. And some people like love the word calling, and some people are like sure. Don't don't like the word calling. They're like God called you. God didn't call me. And so I don't know. All I can say is like about two weeks after my father died, I just really felt like God was saying, "This is this is where I'm leading you." Mm. And then as funny as it sounds, that fall I went back to school after my dad died. So my wife and I, Christina, we got married between our junior and senior year. I like to tell this story of college. Mm. We met our freshman year of college, and then between our, our freshman and sophomore year, she dumped me. And then between our sophomore and junior year, she dumped me again. <laughs> and so that summer, junior and senior year, was the first summer that she couldn't break up with me. So I'd tell people I was just tired of being dumped, so I just asked her to marry me so that she'd be stuck. Hmm. <laughs> but no, it was really interesting. So i go back to school. I kind of felt like maybe, maybe ministry is what God wants me to do. I switched majors. I emailed my professor because we had already registered for classes. Like, can you get me into any religion classes because I'm really interested in this? And so he did that. And so it was a couple months in, and Christine and I were actually broken up at the time. And I just like... I don't know for whatever reason. And I, I I wish I journaled better. I try to journal at least once a week, but I don't, Mm. but I, but I have for about 10 or 15 years, at least periodically done it. And I remember, and I still have it because i like to look back one night. I just felt God saying, Dylan, one day I'm going to have you plant a church and I'm going to have you. And Christine is going to do it with you. And Christine and I were broken up at the time. Mm. So I was like, okay, (laughs) we'll see. And just ever since then, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And so what happened was I got, I mean, I was always involved in my local church, especially in college or growing up and in college, but I got more involved. And I said, here's what this, I don't know what ministry looks like. I don't know what church plan looks like. I don't have any experience, but I want to be involved. So the church we were part of was a really large church and they were super gracious and allowed me to speak at their middle school and high school events and stuff like that and get training. And Christina, she became a Christian right before college. So we grew up completely different upbringings literally like a month before she came to college, she not believe her. So she started going to the, the church that we were a part of, and she was actually on staff, kids ministry. And so she's been, we've been doing ministry together for ever since we've kind of been together. But yeah, so that's what it was like. I was like, God I felt like God saying church planting. I didn't know what that looks like. I just knew that I needed to get involved and get, into, get experience. And so that's kind of what happened in college is we started getting involved and I started getting involved more heavily just to kind of learn what it looks like to, to do this thing. So.
0: Yeah. So as far as like the the word calling, you you mentioned that not a lot of people or some people don't necessarily like that. Do you view this as a specific calling that God gave you or something that he's moved you toward that's kind of blossomed out of who you are? How does that how does that fit in your mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that there is there is nothing I would rather be doing. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I enjoy more than teaching people the Bible and helping them experience Jesus. I mean, there's nothing I love it. And it's difficult and it's hard. So in that sense, do I think God called me? Yes. But I also understand the, the hesitancy of some people to have that language. Sure. But I can just tell people that there's nothing I'd rather be doing. And I think it's a, I consider it a blessing and a joy to being able to do this. And yeah, I mean, this is exactly ever since it kind of, that something that, that, that when I went back to school i felt like God was saying, man, church planning, I don't know what it looks like. I was like, this is it. And I've enjoyed it and loved it. And I feel like i 'm using i 'm using my giftings where i 'm supposed to be, and so i couldn 't imagine doing anything else than what we 're doing now so very
0: nice as a church planter I, I suspect that term church planter means different things to different people. What does church planter mean to you, and what does it look like in terms of you planting a church
1: yeah, so I mean I just mean it in the very technical term that we 're a church planter because we planted a church <laughs> and so we planted a new city church in or in April of this year of two thousand and seventeen so uh-huh. At the time that we record this, we're about six months old. And yeah, and so, yeah, I enjoy starting new things and, and leading things. And so we're on the younger end. We launched, when I mean, I'm 27 now. We launched when I was 26. Mm-hmm. And so that's younger than most. And I don't, for whatever reason, I just felt like, <laughs> and I could have been completely wrong on this. Who knows that God was calling us to, there. I used, to use, I used the word call, so there you go, <laughs> just leading us to to do, to plant a church younger as opposed to older. I I don't Hmm. really know why I just, and I could be wrong on that. So anyway, we pursued it and we, we did it. And so we, we launched a church and part of that is, man, at the end of the day, we want as many people as possible to see our mission at New City Church that we say all the time is to help people meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. That's what we want to do. Hmm. And we know that there is no more effective way to reach people that do not have a relationship with Jesus than planting churches. And so, because that's the most effective way to reach people who don't know Jesus for Jesus, we wanted to be involved in that. Hmm. So our goal, even at New City Church, like we, we've we launched and things are going well and we're learning and, you know, it's been great. And it's had its challenges. Like, we don't think we have arrived in any stretch of the imagination because again, church planning. And what I've noticed too is church planning, it's not just effective in reaching people who don't know Jesus, but also people who do know Jesus, but have never taken ownership of their own local church and taken leadership, it gives them a, an opportunity to do things for the first time. Hmm. And so our goal at New City is not just to say, Hey, we've done it, but we actually are, we have a vision, a long-term goal of planting other churches and sending other people out because we don't want to be, you know, 10, 15 years down the road and kind of said, we made it when, if the goal is to reach as many people as possible to Jesus, for Jesus and church planning is the most effective way to do that. We want to constantly be involved in that. And so although we've planted, we want to be a sending church as well to help as many people meet Jesus, because that, that's what it's about. And that's why church planting for me is so dear to our heart is because how can we help the most amount of people connect with Jesus? I mean, it, at least for now, it seems to be church planting, and that's what all the statistics point to. And so that's what we want to be involved in.
0: Nice. And I love that vision to plant additional churches. Has, has God begun to reveal to you a plan for how to either connect with or raise up leaders and then send them
1: out in terms of effective church planting? Well, I can tell you, we we don't have a, a complete, we have kind of a loose plan, but yeah. we do definitely have a vision. Our vision at New City Church, I used to kind of be embarrassed when I shared this, but now I, I guess I've shared it so many times that I don't. And of course, all of our people will know it. Hmm. Our vision at New City Church is to be actively reaching 50,000 people in 25 years. Yeah, So that's 50,000 people by 2040, by 25 years after we launch. Hmm. Will begin launch, and here's what we mean by that. We don't mean New City Church being a fifty thousand person church, even if that's what we wanted, which we don't. I don't think that. <laughs> I mean, God can do what He wants, yeah. but that's not happening. But what that means is, through through New City and the churches that we send out collectively together in twenty five years, we are reaching fifty thousand people together. And there's two reasons that our vision is so big. One is because we know ultimately that God, and not to get a big theological debate with people, whether it's like does God choose people or do they choose Him. Hmm. Regardless, we know that in the day, God is going to save people, right? He's going to work and he's going to bring people to himself. Like God is going to do that. And so he, since he's already going to do that. We, we just want to ask him to allow us to be part of that process. Like he's already going to reach people. He's already going to, like, he's already going to work in such a way that people are going to come to him. And so we're asking to, to join in on what he's already doing. And the second reason that our vision is so big is because I fully believe, man, when we meet Jesus face-to-face and we see how amazing and awesome He is, Mm. that we are going to look back in our life and say, God, why did I only ask you for this, for something so small, when you could have done something so large? Mm. And I don't want to meet Jesus face-to-face and see how awesome and glorious He is and be like, I only asked you for, for something small. Now, 50,000, even to Jesus, isn't that big, but to me, it seems pretty big. And so there's two reasons. One, God's going to do it anyway, and God's a big God, and we want to dream big. And if we don't reach it, or if we do, hey, man, at least we ask God for something big, and we're trying to work towards it. And so we have a loose plan in place, but but that's our vision. And so from the very beginning, people know this isn't about New City. This isn't about our preferences. It's about what can we do to reach as many people as possible for Jesus.
0: Wow, that, that's great. And, you know, as you were sharing that, I appreciate you sharing with transparency your perspective on God and asking for big things. Something that I've been looking at recently is the demographics for the county that we live in. And I was really surprised to discover that out of about 300,000 people, only maybe 100,000 people in our county would consider themselves churched in any fashion. And to me, I'm like, that's 200,000 people. That's that's a lot of people. And I don't know how to get my head around that. How do you get your head around that?
1: Yeah. I I mean, and and that what you're saying, so we live in Raleigh, which is about 500,000 people. Okay. And Wake County that we, the county we live in, I think two years ago surpassed a million. So 50,000 sounds like a lot, right? But even in Raleigh, and and I I mean, I don't want to, statistics change and they're probably wrong. And there's one from from, uh, Wake County from like seven or eight years ago that says only about 12% of people are attending an evangelical church on a Sunday in wow. Wake County.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, part of that's probably because people don't attend every week and sure. it doesn't mean they don't attend church somewhere, but at the end of the day, that's still a lot of people. So even if we just like round, like we're completely generous and said that 50% of people in Wake County or just in Raleigh attended church on a Sunday, which isn't true. That means there's 250,000 people just in Raleigh who aren't connected somewhere. And so that goes back again to the fact that, man, there's a lot of people that don't know Jesus. So 50,000 is big. But it's not. I mean, compared to the amount of people that that, that we are asked, that, that God is asked, that we can impact, and I don't know. Right. It's it's hard. It's a lot of people, and that's why it goes back to we just we're asking God that we can be a part of what He's already going to do, and what we know, what we say to a new city church a lot is that God doesn't use great people; He uses available people to do great things. Yeah, all throughout Scripture, you see people who are messed up and broken but God uses them, not because they're great, but because they're available to God and they took steps of faith. And so for us asking God to do do something amazing is not because I'm great or new city is great or we are great. It's because God is great. And so the question is, what does it look like for us to be available so that God can use us in such a way that we can make a big impact? And so, yeah, I don't, it's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you wish you could do everything, but we know that we can't do everything. I think Andy Stanley says, do what do for one what you wish you could do for many. Yeah, And so if a lot of us just do for one, I mean, 50,000 is a lot, but I think it's possible, you know, some t- down the road at some point. So
0: Yeah, totally. <laughs> so five or six months ago now, you you launched in the last half a year or so. Have you, have you faced any challenges or have there been any things that you've had to, to overcome in order to, to continue growing mm-hmm. and maturing?
1: Yeah, I have learned so much. So again, we're in our 20s and we're launching a church. So there's just a lot of, wisdom and experience we don't have. It's weird that now that we've launched, I wouldn't recommend most people do it. I, I I wouldn't change what we've done in the fact, in the sense that I would have still done it, but I do see the value in waiting and getting more life experience and mm-hmm. wisdom. But even in I mean, there's, so that being said, if I could go back 18 months ago and start the whole launch process over, I would have done things so differently, Yeah. like so differently, so much so differently. And so, We've learned a lot to hopefully help other people plant. It's We've been really fortunate in the sense that everyone tells you when you plant a church like all their horror stories of like all these crazy things that happen to them. Mm-hmm. And so it really freaks you out like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to us? What I've realized is that everyone has like one or two horror stories, but everyone remembers their horror stories. So when they tell you, it makes it seem like every week you're going to like, something crazy is going to happen. We've been really, really fortunate though that we haven't at this point had a lot of crazy like unfortunate, bad things happen to New City, so that has been good, but at the same time, it's really for me like even even just the six months ago, six months since we've launched, I feel like I have learned so much that I have grown so much that God has been really gracious to me and our church, and we're really just learning, man, what does it look like to to get our people on mission? What does it look like to live on live in community with one another so thankfully, we haven't had a lot of crazy horror stories yet uh, it's really just been a lot of growing and learning and. Our people have been gracious with me and God has been gracious with us. <laughs> and just trying to, to learn who we are as a church so that we can really be more effective in the future.
0: Yeah. You've mentioned a couple times now your your age and the wisdom that comes with continuing in age. Do you have any mentors or peers that you're able to go to for guidance or encouragement or wisdom?
1: Yeah, I am. And I'm so big on <laughs> wise counsel. Mm. right or wrong, I tell God if I'm struggling with a decision, I said, I'm going to ask a couple of these people and whatever they say they're going to do that I should do, I'm going to assume that's from you. Mm. And so (laughs) I just, yeah, you can't, one of our values at New Cities, you can't do life alone. People you surround yourself with have more influence on you than what you watch or what you listen to or what you do. I mean, there's nothing that's more influential than your community and not just community, but wise older community that love Jesus. And I'm really fortunate and we're really fortunate at New City Especially me personally to have relationships with guys who love Jesus and have been around and can really speak life into it. I used to be really intimidated, especially you know a year ago, and even until we launched hmm. about my age and me being younger and like what are people going to think and all that sort of thing. But part of the reason why we we move forward with the launch process is I had I knew guys that were older that had been in ministry for a while and some from larger churches or what for right or wrong people would think as successful mm. and kind of said, here's where we are. Here's what we think. And they kind of encouraged, yeah, I think you should try this. And if they had all said, no, don't do this or no, you need to go do this. You need to go learn more then we absolutely wouldn't have done it. So this wasn't just a, well, we're young and we want to do this because we want to do things our way. Mm-hmm. It was really like, I asked some people and they thought, you know what? I, I think you could, I think you guys should try this. If it wasn't for that, then we certainly wouldn't have done this. And even for now at New City Church, we've got some again. I've got some relationships with some men who are older, wiser, and really love Jesus. That if it wasn't for them, I don't know where New City would be. But I just have some really wise counsel. That yeah, if we were if we were on our own, things would be a mess. I know that for sure. So
0: <laughs> yeah. So this this group of people that you get get wise counsel from, did they also help you choose? or to, to point you in a direction as far as like where you might consider locating a church or how, how was it that you decided, okay, this is where, this is the, the building, this is the community that we're going to be a part of when we launch? Right.
1: Yeah. Cause that's the question. Where do you launch a church? Yeah. So I'm from the Raleigh area originally. Christina also, my wife also grew up in the Raleigh area. Okay. We met in college and neither one of us had a desire to move back to the Raleigh area. And so <laughs> we knew we wanted to plant a church. And so we were going to move to actually to Texas to go to seminary, even though there's a seminary in the Raleigh area, Okay, because we just wanted to go somewhere else. But then halfway through our our senior year of college, the church we were a part of, the college pastor there said, hey, I'm going to plant a church. And so I thought, well, I could go read about it, or I could actually do it. Yeah. And so we stayed in Wilmington and helped plant a church. We were there for a couple of years. I did Liberty. I did my, got my master's degree online, but it was invaluable experience. And about two years in, we're kind of wondering, okay, what's next for us? Where where do we go from here? And possibly thinking ministry-wise or just in general. And long story short, there are a couple of reasons that led us back to Raleigh. And I'm really glad that we're here because two, now, now that we've launched, because I know that's a lot of people kind of, what's called a parachute plan is where they would just go move somewhere and launch a church. Okay. I don't know. I mean, shout out to the people that have done that, because even in Raleigh, where we had relationships, it was so difficult. I can't imagine going somewhere else. Mm. But I just think that God and his providence, for a few reasons, brought us back here. And then we were looking at where to plant a church, and we saw that Raleigh, in the Raleigh-Durham area, is one of the top five fastest growing cities in in all of the United States. Mm. And it's been like that for the past few years, and it's supposed to be like that for the next 15 years. And so if we're looking at a place to be impactful and Raleigh is massively growing and we already have relationships here and we already know the culture here and feel like fit well here, well, why would we go anywhere else? Yeah. And so that's kind of what led us here. And again, shout out to those who kind of move somewhere and plant. I don't think, especially in our 20s, that we could have launched anywhere else than Raleigh. But that's kind of what is it. We, we end up moving back to the area. We saw how much it was growing and how much it needs more churches. I mean, even even to keep up with growth, let alone actually reaching more people in Raleigh for Jesus, just to keep up with growth alone, there needs to be more churches. And there's a lot of great churches here in Raleigh. It's not like we came in and doing something that no one else is doing. There's a lot of great churches here in Raleigh. We've got a relationship with a lot of the great pastors here, but we're like, we're from here. This place is growing. What better place to launch a church than a place that we already know?
0: Yeah, I, I love that. And you know, as I'm as I'm trying to think about, okay, where can we go from here? Because you've, you've shared so much meat. There are a number of different things that are kind of jumbling around in my head because there, <laughs> there's just so much there. And, and one of the things that I'm kind of wondering, as a church planter, you're now about six months into this or so, and Raleigh is growing. There's obviously new people either coming to the area or a lot of people being born and continuing to grow up. Are you able to find a way to connect with new people who are new in the community and invite them to be part of this? How how do you, what's your outreach look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is creating a place that people enjoy and want to be. We're obviously, especially because we're younger, but it's just in general, we, we are, we take our social media presence very seriously God has been really gracious when we launched, I thought we'd just be a bunch of twenties and thirties because that was mostly our launch team, okay, but God has been good, and we actually have a we're actually pretty diverse in age, which is shocked was a shocking to me i 'm like, why are these <laughs> people coming back to listen to a twenty something but they 've been great and it's been amazing but yeah we I just know like for me like i 'm not going anywhere unless until i've uh, like not just your website but your social media mm-hmm. and even when it comes to churches, like if I was looking for a church and your website looked legit. And I went on your Facebook page and you hadn't posted in two weeks. I'm not going to your church. Mm. Like, I'm, just, I, I, I'm assuming that you don't have anything relevant for me if you don't take that seriously. So obviously we, you know, we encourage people to invite and to engage people with the gospel and all that sort of thing. But we really take serious our social media presence and more, more amount of people than not at this point. And of course we're new, so I'm, I'm assuming that will change over time, have found us through Facebook and social media than anything else. Not like a sign, not like a mailer that we sent out, Mm -hmm. but simply people are already online. Like, how can we engage people where they already are? And in the United States, most people are on (laughs) social media. And so we take that seriously. We spend a lot of time on it. And that's how we've been reaching a lot of new people in our area. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Uh, kind of
0: turning the the focus a little bit on uh, more toward you specifically you're a, you're a pastor you're a church planner you're a father you're a sports lover a wannabe spokesperson you're you're also a <laughs> podcaster so there's a lot going on in your life uh, i'd like to focus yeah. for a little bit on your podcast but before we do that i'd like to just know how do you how do you keep it all under control that's a lot of stuff to juggle
1: we are i mean yeah, this is in god's providence i don't know how we could have on those wise. We, God has been so good and we have such an amazing, not just a group of people at New City, but a group of, that a team. Mm-hmm. So I like to make a joke. We have six staff people at New City Church as a church plant. I'm the only one that's paid. One guy is ra- has already finished raising support. We're about to have another guy come on who raised support so they could work. And I didn't ask them to raise support. They just did it. So we have as a church plant, we have me. We have a guy who runs our volunteer coordinating and, and outreach. Mm-hmm. So Sunday morning and stuff in the community. So that's one person. We have our, a social media person who does all social media. We have a worship leader who does our worship and production. We have a kids director, and then we have a guy who does all of our administrative and community group stuff. And so, I mean, it, I, I can't imagine launching a church on my own, let alone. I, so, I like to make the joke that we have the most amount of staff per person that any church plant's ever had. Wow! And so that's that. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Like, we just have a lot of help, and people just really want to be involved. And I, I don't know what, why that's the case, but I'm. I'm not going to question it and I'm just going to be really grateful for it. And so that's part of what's allowed me to do some extra things is the fact that there's just a lot of help. And not only are they, do we have people that want to help, but they're, they're all doing like they're killing it. Like they're doing Mm -hmm. a great job. And so it's, it just makes it even that much better. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's wonderful. So let's shift our focus to your podcast. It's, it's a show that I've checked out a few episodes of. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about your show and who it might be
1: good for? Yeah, so a few months ago, uh, one of the things that I'm passionate about, I guess, just to start there, yeah, is helping people and like, what does it look like to live out your faith in everyday life? And so the podcast, it's not, I mean, there's a lot of great leadership podcasts, there's a lot of great podcasts and just materials on how to learn more about the Bible and be a Bible scholar and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But I'm just really passionate about taking the average person and letting them see the revel- the relevance for Jesus in their, not just for eternity, but here and now. Like, what does it look like to follow Jesus now? Mm-hmm. What does it look like practically? And so I have a podcast called the Faith in Life Podcast where all I do, similar to you, Brian, is I interview people, except I interview people in different jobs, careers, and seasons of life. And what I do is I ask them to share a little bit about their story. And then we talk about what does it look like for your faith to impact what you do at your job, Mm -hmm. impact your relationships, to show people, oh, A, how does my faith play out in my life? And then B, practically show people what does it look like for me to live out my faith? Because I think so so often we think I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I don't, like, surely God can't use me. My hope is that people, as they hear this podcast, see, oh, there's how, here's how God's using them. Maybe God can use me in the same way. It goes back to what I said earlier, that God doesn't use great people. He uses available people to do right. great things. And say, so here's, I mean, just, I'm just interviewing a bunch of available people, seeing how God's using them to hopefully encourage others to see how could God use me in my work or in my relationships or in my seasons of life. So that's kind of what the podcast is about me interviewing just a bunch of different people. And it's great too. It's a a little selfish at the same time because then I get to meet and interview a lot of great people that I wouldn't have the opportunity to do otherwise. So it's a win-win. Yeah. So speaking selfishly,
0: I I just want to say this is the podcast idea that I wish that I would have had because you're (laughs) you're only dealing primarily with three or four different time zones. You have an incredible variety of people (laughs) that you can draw from, incredible variety and walks of life. I think it's a great thing and I think it's worth, you know, for those of you who are listening, I think it's worth checking out. So I'm going to make sure that we link to that in the show notes. I am wondering Dylan, as you think about this show, is there, as you think about maybe one or two of your guests, what what have they shared that's most surprised or inspired you?
1: I don't know if I, I think maybe answering it more gener, generally, generally sure. would probably be easier. It's just that, that got like, I, God, you don't have to be in voca- paid vocational ministry to make a difference. Hmm. In fact, being a non-paid vocational ministry, like at a normal job, you have so much more impact and influence than you realize. Being around people on a day-to-day basis, I, what I love about the podcast is just hearing how people. I mean, I've inter- I mean, even so far, we've interviewed teachers. we I've interviewed an illusionist. I've interviewed a finance guy. Yeah. I mean, um, I've interviewed a mom. Like all these different people, and so in all these different varieties. I'm just seeing like that Jesus really is practical and has implications for wherever you are and learning what that looks like for them, because what it looks like for me as someone in ministry is different than a, than a stay at home mom. Yeah. It's different than someone who's an author and a speaker. It's different than someone who's working in the food industry. Like it's different. And so just seeing how Jesus impacts all those spaces, I think is really, really neat. Oh, I love that.
0: And as we, as we kind of tie a bow on this, I've got a question that popped up that I didn't prep you for. And so if you're not comfortable with it, that's fine. Just let me know. But <laughs> I'm thinking if you were able to project forward, you know, 30, 40, 50, 70 years, and you're lying on your deathbed and you have the opportunity to leave one last message for Christians, what would you want to share with them?
1: Probably what I, 70 years from now. So I like that. Let's say I'm going to live 70 more years. Yeah, I'll probably that great? look back and be like, that's what you chose. So like, you could have chose anything. And you chose that. I would say what I've said a couple times already, because I think it's so true. And as we're, you know, especially now as as a, as a plaster of a church and, and preaching most Sundays and being able to spend a lot of time studying and learning God's word and all that sort of thing. Like, I don't just say, cause it sounds cool. Like I could not emphasize enough that God does not use great people. He uses available people to do great things. Mm. Like I look at my own life, not saying that new city or I'm great cause I'm not, but like There's nothing, I'm a skinny white kid who like loves sports and isn't cool or hip. I mean, I'm like, I just like want want God to do some cool things. Mm. And I just, when I look at people that I know, people that I interview on the podcast, like it's really like, God does not ask for great people. I mean, hardly anybody that he used throughout scripture has it all together. Most of the people he used were like, why would you, why would you use, like, what is good about this person? Surely you could have found someone better. But it's just them being available and people really understand that God, like I want to be careful. I don't want to say like God has a great plan for your life Mm -hmm. because I think that that can give the wrong connotation. Like if I'm faithful, I'm going to do all these amazing things. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, man, eternity is a long time and it's really easy for us to look at people. Let's say we live 70 or 80 years who have a lot of money and a lot of influence and be like, it must be cool to be, to be, to be them. Yeah. But but man, if you, if you, if God uses you to impact just one person's eternity, like just think about that. Let's say eternity is a trillion billion years, which I know that's not a number. (laughs) Let's just say that's what it is. Let's just say it's a trillion years. 70 to 80 years is nothing compared to a trillion years. And you have the impact of the ability to be used by God. God, for whatever reason, typically uses human means to accomplish his mission. He doesn't have to, but he brings us along for the ride. That you have the ability to impact someone's trillion billion years. Like that is a great thing. That's an amazing thing. And so I re- that's what I want people to know is like, you don't have to be amazing. You don't have to be awesome. You just have to be available. Uh, so I, let me share, let me tie a bow on it with this yeah. quick story. I talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago. Let me just give like a relevant example of what this looks like, who has, has had, a, had kidney failure when he was in college, a bunch of health stuff. They didn't, he had dialysis, but it didn't go well. And so it led to problems later in life. And so recently he's had both of his legs amputated. Ooh. He had a second leg amputated just a few months ago. And as of this recording, so this is a guy again with no legs and two weeks from today when this recording is taking place, he is leading a team of people to Houston, Texas to help Hurricane Harvey relief, wow. clean up and rebuilding. So here's a guy with no legs who's leading a labor intensive team to clean and rebuild Houston. Mm. Like, is that, if that is not God, not using a a great person, but available, like he's just being available and God's doing a cool thing. Yeah, And I think God can do that in other people's lives if they just make themselves available to him. Wow. That's great. Dylan, how can we best pray for you? Yeah. I mean, New City Church is awesome, but you know, there's discouraging moments, there's difficult moments for me, wisdom, wisdom to learn, to lead well. And then ultimately I think it's so easy for people in ministry to feel like we're doing this for everyone else to help other people meet Jesus and help other people grow in relationship to Jesus. But at the end of the day, like I want to be growing in my relationship with Jesus. Like, I want to be able to say at the end of this year and next year and every single year that I grew and I love Jesus more than I did when the year started. So my prayer is for wisdom. And that also at the end of the day, I'm not just doing this to try to help other people, but that I myself am actually growing in my love and appreciation for Jesus.
0: Wow, good stuff. For those of you listening, I would like to encourage you to take a minute, stop this recording, and go ahead and take a minute to pray for Dylan. I know from my experience, it's really easy to forget, so I just encourage you to do that right now. Dylan, I'd like to say thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate being able to connect and hear your story.
1: This is awesome. This has been awesome, Brian. Thanks so much for having me on. You're welcome.
0: In just a minute, I'm going to have for you Tales from the Bench. But before I do that, I do have a podcast recommendation for you, brought to you by missionalaudio.com. This week's podcast recommendation is Movements with Steve Addison. It features stories and insights from the field on multiplying disciples and churches everywhere. And I think it's really worth checking out. One of the things, if, if you've followed it for a while, you'll know this, but if not, Steve Addison and his wife have actually finished up the ministry that they had planned in, in England and, and in Europe, and they're in the process now of moving back to Australia. So if you're interested in connecting with him and finding out more about movements and also about what's going on in his life, visit movements.net or just stop by missionalaudio.com and find the movements podcast right there. I think it's great. I think it's worth subscribing to, or at least worth checking out. That's Movements with Steve Addison. So, Tales from the Bench. What in the world am I talking about? Well, if you're a sports fan, you might think that I'm talking about being on the bench and waiting to play, but that's not actually what we're talking about. I'm talking about a conversation that I had with my father-in-law, and I'm going to tell you in just a minute why I think this is going to be interesting to you. My father-in-law is a judge in the Atlanta area, And as a judge, you know, he's not a politician in the sense that he doesn't do party politics or anything like that. But he's very interested in public policy. It's not something that's near and dear to my heart, but it is something that's near and dear to his. And when they were up here a few weeks ago, I was talking with him about some of the things that are going on. Frankly, some things that I don't necessarily understand, but some things that are going on. And during the course of that conversation... One of the things that stood out is the difficulty in creating public policy or creating a policy for a large group of people that effectively addresses every potential problem that might be in that area. And I don't want to necessarily pick a particular issue because I don't want that to become the the topic of this conversation. But just in general, what happens is you have to create a policy or a system or something like that to address a large problem within a population. But within that large, broad stroke, big paintbrush type thing, there are always individual challenges and individual experiences that maybe don't exactly fit the mold and you can continue going on and trying to make the system more and more complex to accommodate every way that people might try and take advantage of it or every way that maybe people would slip through the cracks and doing those is going to become incredibly challenging and what you end up with is on either side of a two-sided argument you have in general a system that either person will argue either does or doesn't work and Within that, there will always be particulars where that particular system doesn't work. And so you can end up in this kind of endless fight, if you will, between trying to define a broad system to address every little thing. And that's what got me thinking about what I think is going to interest you, because it also speaks to our presentation or our experience in the kingdom of God, because We can try to design a system, a template, a model to address a particular challenge in our society or a particular way to bring the gospel to people, and I don't want to discount any of those. But at at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, it's actually us with the Holy Spirit inside of us that bring the gospel, whether it's bringing a message of the gospel or bringing acts of service or bringing a smile and love. At the end of the day, it's us. Operating within the kingdom to bring God's light into those situations. And so I'd like to encourage you to continue refining systems and coming up with models and continue trying to work on these things. But never forget that there's a king who sits on the throne and he defines what works and what doesn't work. And it's our job as best we can to submit to his rule, whether it seems to fit or not, because he's the one that does the work. It's the Holy Spirit that calls people. And my encouragement is just to remember that in the middle of this, we're submitted to a king. We have systems and frameworks that we try to work within because they make things easier. But it's us connecting with God that makes the difference. We're there. We're important. We're not more important than God. But being there is incredibly important. And for those of you that are there, I would just like to say thank you for being there, wherever there is. For those of you who are, are on the way to a there, I would like to encourage you to keep on as God leads you. And for, for those of you who are sending people to wherever there is, never forget that where you are is also a there, and you are there on purpose. God has something for you to do there, and it matters. Well, this week we've had a podcast recommendation brought to you by missionalaudio.com. We've heard from Dylan Dodson about a challenging experience, about starting a church, about surrounding yourself with quality people to pour into your life, and a whole lot of other stuff that he shared. And we also had tales from the bench. And I do want to say just one more time, what you do really matters. You are important and you serve an incredibly powerful king who has something special for you to do. My thanks to Dylan Dodson for being with us and also to you for joining us. I'm really glad that you were here. The show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Dylan Dodson. That's engagingmissions.com slash D-Y-L-A-N-D-O-D-S-O-N. I'd I'd encourage you to stop by and take a look at those. I try to make sure that they're incredibly valuable and have links to all of the different things that we talked about, as well as some timestamps and some things that you can click on if you want to tweet those. And also, since you stuck around this long, if you have a prayer request, I would love to hear from you. There's going to be a link in those show notes. Either click the art of the podcast app that you're listening in and just click on through to that, or click on the show notes page, And I've got a a little place on Facebook where if you have a prayer request, you can put that up there so that I can pray for you and so that we can pray for you. And I'd also like to encourage you to stop by and take a minute to pray for the requests that are already out there on that. Make sure that you come back next week. We're going to be hearing from Terry Hoggard about providing aid planting churches, and building relationships. Subscribe to the show by visiting engagingmissions.com slash subscribe so that you never miss another episode. And if you have any feedback for the show, please send that by email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. I would love to hear from you. Whether you have something that you'd like to encourage me with or perhaps something that you'd like to encourage me to do or to change, I would love to hear from you. Even if it's just to say, hey, I'd love to hear from you. That's feedback at engagingmissions.com. I really look forward to connecting with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Missions show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.